The Fail On Podcast, episode 029. And the guy said, well, I used to be a successful businessman, and then I became an alcoholic, and now I'm building up my business again, so I've got this kind of richest to rags to riches story. And Philip walked him over to the looking over the city in Vancouver and said, there's people down there now who need to hear your story. They don't need to wait for you to be perfect. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes failing in a hyper-focused way is the fastest way to quit a job, start a business, and live a life of absolute freedom. In a world that only likes to share successes, we dissect the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs, and this is a platform for their stories, and today's story is of Tim J.P. Collins. I met Tim through a mutual friend, Philip McKernan, and... Tim was a successful IT salesman who was struggling with anxiety throughout his entire life and then experienced a complete meltdown and breakdown on stage that drove him to changing his path and creating his own business focused on solving this exact problem. Today, Tim is the creator and host of the Anxiety Podcast and is known as the Breakthrough Anxiety Coach. His life's work is dedicated to helping people who struggle with stress, anxiety, and panic attacks, and he draws from his own personal experiences to help coach others on overcoming their stress and anxiousness. So we'll be discussing his first frightening anxiety attack that occurred during a business presentation, which led to the business model for his current work and some of the strategies and examples he uses for getting out of his comfort zone and a powerful story that led him to actually starting his business and what he calls the superpower of anxiety, Tim's concept of turning nervous energy and anxious energy into actual performance energy. But first, I have a lot of travel coming up, and I'm actually about to head to the airport right now to go to San Francisco. And luckily, all I need to travel with is a backpack for one reason only. It's a shirt from an innovative Toronto apparel company called Unbound Merino. They have clothes made out of merino wool that you can wear for months on end without ever needing to have it washed. Yeah, I said it. Talk about a traveler's absolute dream. Talk about my absolute dream. Never need to check a bag again. But check in at the show notes page for an exclusive fail on discount that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And if you'd like to stay up to date on all the fail on podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Hey there, and welcome to the fail on podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Tim J.P. Collins, the host and creator of the Anxiety Podcast. I love what Tim does because it's making such a huge impact for people. He helps people learn to handle and overcome anxiety. Tim, welcome to the Fail On Podcast. Thank you, Rob. I'm happy to be here. So just for a little context for people listening, we're, you're, you came down from Canada. You're in San Diego I right did. now. Yeah, I rode here on a polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people probably from California actually think. Yeah. No, we're in San Diego. We're at actually at a co-working space recording in a, I would very loosely call it a studio. Yeah. There is a red thing up top that shows that we're recording, but yeah. people next door don't care. It looks super professional till you open the door. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at somebody, they're like, man, this is more like a broom closet than, yeah. a, than a studio, but hey, get the job good. done. So obviously, I'm really curious with what you do in terms of helping people overcome anxiety, mm. but before we really dive into all of that, 
Can you take us back to the first time where you kind of got into entrepreneurship and then the first time somebody actually gave you money in exchange for something you created, whether it be a product or service? Yeah, so I went down the kind of traditional route to start with, so working for other people. And I worked in IT sales for a long time, much of which caused my anxiety and much of which was kind of representing hollow products, which I just didn't give a shit about. What so kind of IT sales? Like actual software, hardware type yeah, stuff? In the early days, it was antivirus and anti-spam. If, you, if you're old enough to remember the yeah, I yeah. love you virus and love bug and Anna Kornikova and all those things. So we pioneered some software and services and that turned into SaaS and all that good stuff. But yeah, that was kind of representing other people for a long time and that kind of eventually got old. And that the pressure from doing that for somebody else all the time started to build up on, on my shoulders. But to answer your question, entrepreneurially, when we had first had our, our first child, our son, all parents do this, just some of them actually are silly enough to act on it, but we're like, oh, we have a really good idea for a product. And we started a company which, which designed a travel high chair, essentially, for kids. So if you're in an airport or grandma's house, my wife went to fashion design school. So she created this product. She sewed it at home on a sewing machine, literally for herself. And then she was going to mum groups. And some of the mums were like, where'd you get that from? I want one, which happens a lot. And she said, oh, I made it. I'll make you one. I've got the pattern at home. She went home. Three hours later, she sewed another one. And did she do that going in, like knowing that she her goal was to no. sell? She, so she the, just made it for herself. She is the complete opposite of monetize anything. She doesn't it. want to monetize nothing. Yeah. I'll make it for you. I'll give it to you for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like anytime now, she and she's very she's a very creative person. But anytime she has any great ideas, I'm sat there thinking, "Ooh, website, e-commerce, <laughs> social right. media," and she's like, "No, no, no, I just want to do this for me." She's got another thing now, but and anyway, more people started to ask. It started to take off bit by bit in terms of around the community. And then I was like, we might as well set up a basic website and see what happens. And then I would sit there at night on my laptop and advertise one for sale on Craigslist or Kijiji, which is the Canadian version. People started buying them. And then I get kicked off Craigslist because you don't have to sell products on it. And But it, it was kind of proving the model that it worked. Then set up an eBay account and it kind of grew from there. And we ran that business for about eight years and eventually sold oh, wow. it to a bigger company. So it was nice. it was a nice way to f kind of finish on a high. Yeah, so yeah. you guys kind of built that together. What was kind of the, just along that journey, building it out eight years, I guess, what was the biggest struggle in terms of, assuming you guys had never run a business before, no. created a business, no. what were the biggest struggles in terms of growing it to what it eventually became? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of struggles in there, you know, technical struggles in that industry, because if you're selling baby products, people want like so much insurance, like the yeah. cost of insurance just to sell it on eBay was like 10 grand a year when we had nothing to put into it apart from our own money. So it's very much like pouring, starting to believe in something and then pouring your own financial commitment into it, thinking we could lose a lot of money here, but we're kind of never going to know unless we do it, right? You don't know until you put your best foot forward. So I remember one day I was working in my IT job and I was working in a satellite office. So they didn't, nobody knew what I was doing apart from how many sales I'd made. And that month was all right. So I just stood in my office all day and cold called insurance companies saying, selling a baby product. Here's, and they were like, eh, good luck with that and move on to the next one. Eventually somebody said, yeah, well, we have a, some you know, C-level underwriter who will take this product on and I got insurance for it and that kind of got us going. And then a very big national chain in the States discovered us. And I think this is where luck comes into being an entrepreneur. At times somebody discovers you or they find you and say, this big company found us and said, we want you to be on our special parent invented end cap where they put you on the end of an aisle, which is a big deal in a supermarket retail outlet. Would you like to be involved? And we said, yes, obviously. 
And that then kind of hyper expanded us where we were making them at home to making them in a small Canadian factory, which we kind of had to train how to do it because yeah. they're not it's a unique product big yeah. enough. And then we were like, they were like, you need to go to China immediately because you need 20,000 in three months. And we're like, oh no, <laughs> like, how do we do this? And were you still working at your IT job at that yeah. time? Yeah. So was there a point where you transit where that product did well enough to where you were able to leave that job? No, I kind of outsourced it. So my wife kind of ran the creative side and then I got somebody to take care of the operations side, if you will, like processing. And then I would go to the trade shows on my vacations and got it. Yeah, it was the classic <laughs> sort of go, go to work. I go home from work at six o'clock, eat my dinner, put the baby to bed. And then from seven till midnight or one, it would be like in the basement, either packing orders or working on the website. Or, right. You know. So what led you to finally leave the IT job? Having quite a, a monumental breakdown. So probably, I think the entrepreneurship was a, a welcomed break for me. I don't think that was a really major contributing factor. But I did what a lot of people do. I'd made a lot of money and I'd grown into that lifestyle. So my expenses were super high because I'd made a lot. And I defy anyone to say it's easy to not get a pay rise and spend the money. You just do. 100%. It. You can't yeah. help it. It might be monumentous where you're like, let's buy a bigger house or let's buy a brand new car or it might just be small, like let's go have a dinner tonight. And it's, it's just because you're not used to having it, right? So like, because I ran into the same thing and it's like, it feels nice to be able to spend money like when I want to right. without being super stressed about it. Yeah. But then you start, like you said, the expenses start creeping, creeping, creeping. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the amount you need monthly is all of a sudden ballooned. Right. Day one, it could be like, I used to bring my coffee from home and I love my coffee. And now we go to Starbucks because I can afford it because I deserve it, right? We get into that whole, like, <laughs> totally. I've earned this. Uh, it's a right. And we see other people doing it and then we want it. So that built up more travel, increased pressure from the in the work environment. And I've told this story many times now, but it's, it still kind of gets me a bit. But I traveled one day from Toronto to London to do a big presentation. And I wasn't taking care of myself physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in any way possible at the time. And I got off the plane, went out drinking with friends or colleagues, got up in the next morning to go and do my presentation. And I had my first ever panic attack live and direct in front of these people. And at the time, I, th I thought I was dying because I, panic attacks weren't in my world. I didn't know what that was. So what do, what do you mean for people that don't necessarily know like what that entails, like you're having a panic attack. What's actually like, what's going through your mind? What are you feeling? Yeah. So it's kind of taking you back to, to a primal feeling of like fight or flight or freeze is what people call it. So I stood, at, I'll, I'll walk you through it. You can come on this journey with me. So I stood at the front of this room and I was about to launch into my beautiful, elaborate, overly elaborate slideshow presentation behind me. And, and oh, sorry, just, just interject. And to be clear, had you given many talks prior? Hundreds. Yeah. Okay, so this isn't like this isn't like the yeah. first time that no. you've been on stage or been in front no. of people. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I could do it like prior to that. I could do it hungover, blindfolded, <laughs> whatever you want, <laughs> anytime, any okay. place. So it was interesting how that, it was interesting for me how vulnerable I allowed, allowed myself to become. So exposed that it was actually easy to get me in that moment. But I stood there, and the initial thing I think was either sweat on my head or vertigo or some feeling of just like, just a, a little thing, just a slight feeling of uneasiness, which I then latched onto and said, God, I don't feel good. And I'm still at the front of the room and now I'm feeling a bit wobbly. And as I started launching into like, this is the company I work for, we were formed in 1988 and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't get any more words out. I got like three quarters of the way through the first sentence and then choked in, in classic Eminem style. I couldn't, 
get any more words out. And then the people in the room are obviously looking at me as if to say, like, what's wrong with you? Which is the normal kind of reaction. So you're just standing there quiet. Mm. Yeah. Can't get a Heart's word out. racing like a... Like, like a knees shaking, wobbling. Racehorse, yeah. Yeah. Probably not visibly shaking. Right, but you're... But inside, yeah. yeah, I felt like I was on a roller coaster and my heart's racing. Now I'm starting to sweat more. My vertigo's starting to get worse. And I felt like almost if, you know, if you've ever done a heavy set of squats in the gym and you put the bar down, you get that lightheadedness. I almost wanted to go down on one knee. That's how dizzy I felt. So it probably felt like you were being quiet for minutes. But mm. how, how long were you actually just standing there in front of this room of people just looking at you? I probably gave it because it happened to me since then and I and I overcame it but in that first instance it probably it was probably about 5 seconds before I pulled the shoe and just said excuse me I got to go and I walked out of that room I walked into the the restroom and stood there and splashed water on my face and at this point the shame's kicking in and the embarrassment and the like what the fuck is it just happened like how is that even possible and so you know on one side I've got all of these things running through my head at like a hundred miles an hour and I'm going to lose my job. Then I lose my house and then my, my kids and my relationship and the catastrophizing business that goes with panic attacks. And the other side is, but I can't get back in there. Like, what are they thinking of me? You know, that's a huge trait of us humans is we care so much about what people think over and above our own well-being that that was sort of tearing me apart. But I did go back and mustered up the enough courage and i look back with some pride now that i did go back in that room but went back in there and i just said i'm really sorry i can't i, I can't explain what just happened but i'll, I'll try to carry on if, and if you don't mind can i sit down because my legs are shaking by this point so i just had to kind of battle through it and i always say if i could go back again i would have said to the people i would have lied and just said listen guys i had a bad curry last night which is <laughs> which would be easy in england right. to say and they'd be like all right, right yeah you should go home so moving past that like you said really cool that you're able to go back in and gather yourself and 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 see through it right yeah because i think a lot of people would have just walked out and been Mm. done but taking that lesson forward what where did you go from there like did you reevaluate and be like why did that happen what what do i do from here yeah how do i make sure this doesn't happen again well it did happen again a number of times so that was like the beginning of the end for me the beginning of like a couple of years of panicking. That was the first time. And then that night in my hotel room, I thought about killing myself. I thought about how do I go on? How do I tell my wife? How do I tell my employer? Like what? Like it's it's over. But what was what was the like? What was so bad? If anything, like. Mm. But what what? Where did those like? You know, thinking about killing yourself. Where did that dr- come from? Where did the those thoughts like originate? Yeah, I think it was it was the uprooting of a long-held belief that I wasn't good enough in my life. I think people talk about like the imposter complex. I think the whole time I'd been in my sales career and, you know, ascended to be vice president of sales for this company, I was like, they're going to find out anytime now. They're going to discover that who is Tim? Why is he doing this job? Why are we paying him so much money? My wife's going to realize that actually I'm not funny and I'm ugly. And, you know, just all these, all the insecurities in me flooded out of me at that moment. I was like, now they know. Now the truth is like on the table. And so that build up, which had always been suppressed because I'd always just about pulled it off and somebody had said, oh, you were really good. And, you know, but this time it was like, it was different. And so from that moment forward, I was just walking around the world, assuming that everybody was looking at me the whole time saying, failure 
Like that's just how I felt for a long time. What do you think that comes from? Is it the way you were raised? Just to, I mean, were you not raised with a lot of confidence? Did you not have confidence growing up? I'm I'm just trying to figure out where that, mm. like, what made you feel like you weren't good enough when you had done all these successful things? You had a great job. You were making yeah. a lot of money. You and your wife had started a business. Like, you know, mm. in in most people's eyes, that's success. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was some there was some bullying in my school okay. years. I was raised in a competitive family, so it was always like, you know, who's going to win the race, and this kind of stuff would would go on. So I was always trying to prove myself to somebody. I was always to try trying to fit into social groups. I would like morph myself in a in a chameleon type way to try and, you know, even speak the same way as other people. In England has a lot of regional dialects where people an hour down the road you can't understand them. So I kind of mold myself to the group I was with at that point. I would be the class clown at school because I'd try and people, make people laugh to kind of deflect it. So I don't think it was like one, it wasn't like one traumatic event. It was just a lifetime of like trying to fit in, which had, you know, built and built and built. And I'd once in a while kind of like on a video game where you pick up a little green ball and it makes you live for an extra 30 seconds. I'd been keeping getting there just about. And then eventually the seconds ran out and I just crashed. Got it. It's interesting you mentioned that because I think we have a mutual friend, Philip McKernan, mm-hmm. who I was talking to him on this podcast and I, I told him that it's very similar to what you just said in terms of being a chameleon. I would find myself doing the same thing in terms of just to get people to like me. I would mm. notice I'm laughing like them now. I'm talking like them now mm. just to just to be accepted. Yeah, And it got me away from knowing like who I truly am because I was always trying to just fit in like that. So it's it's a great point. I think... I mean, how are you able to deal with finding out who you truly are and being yourself and finding your own voice? Mm-hmm. The first thing is, is that, like, just to pick on what you said there, yeah. like, that is, is, is very natural to have that state because we, we're, we're designed as humans to assimilate. We're designed to fit in. That's how our survival is built. If I go to, to your tribe 10,000 years ago and laugh like you and eat like you and dance like you, you'll, you'll be like, well, he's just like one of us. We should keep him. <laughs> exactly. Right? If I go in there and start being all weird and like true, drawing yeah. tattoos on my arms, you'll be like, that's guy's strange. We should kill him or get rid of him. That's <laughs> what they should, would do. We should kill him. But for me, it, was, it, begot, it begun like an awakening, which sounds very spiritual and maybe it should be. But I started to like actually look at my life for the first time in my life, in my mid 30s. I started to say, should I be actually doing this work? Should I be living here? Should I be hanging out with these people? And and really ruthlessly lifted up every stone in my life and had a look. And some of them I was like, yeah, that's actually all right. And others I was like, oh my God, like no wonder. Like now I look back in, uh, at Tim of 10 years ago and I'm like, of course. You know, now I speak to clients who come to me with this, you know, presenting with the same situation. I'm like, you know, yeah, I can, I can tell you exactly why this is happening. So if you could ask yourself, so I'm, I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong, that you started asking all these questions of yourself after you had gone through so much pain of dealing with these panic attacks where you're like, something's got to change. So then you start asking yourself these questions. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I tried the traditional approach. So I tried medication and it felt strange to me. Probably even prior to it kicking in, it felt like this doesn't feel right. It didn't, I don't know whether that was intuitively, it didn't feel like the solution, but I didn't feel comfortable with it. So a psychologist and just kind of felt like it was kind of a bit of a lecture. And so, yeah, I started to started to look around at, like, maybe it's something else. And our friend, our mutual friend, Philip McKernan, I started getting exposed to a bit of his work. And I had a conversation with him once where I said, am I broken, like, 
is this a problem that I can't fix or is it my life which is creating the situation I have? And his advice, which turned out to be very useful over the last few years was, why don't you start changing your life and see what happens? I'm going to, I'm going to see him this weekend, actually, my wife and I. For, oh, there you go. He's doing the couples retreat. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I'm not really looking forward to because I don't, I mean, it's going to be very beneficial and valuable. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if it's like something that I can be like, yeah, let's, let's go. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. But it will be great. But I think that's interesting. Did, did you, do you feel like you had to go through those panic attacks to get those questions out of you? Like if you could go back in time, could you take those questions and this conversation with Philip before you actually had to go through all the panic attacks to, to kind of come to the re- realization that you need to reevaluate things? Mm. I don't think I could have done it any other way. I'd like to think now that I do come across the people people in the world who aren't there yet and I give them bits of advice because they're open to it and they do make changes. But the truth is it's very hard for us humans to learn vicariously. We have to actually feel it because we see, we see atrocities around us all the time and it doesn't necessarily make us change. But in my case, yeah, I felt like I also feel like the work I do now is my life's work. So without that lesson, I wouldn't be able to teach it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what it feels like. I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't comprehend. I wouldn't be able to pull today's life experiences and put them through a lens of what would that feel like for somebody who couldn't get out of bed in the morning because they were scared to drive to work. Right. Right. So building what you're building now, Overcoming Anxiety, the Anxiety Podcast, What's been the biggest challenge in terms of starting that? Because obviously it's a pain. It, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it would be a very painful place to come from in terms of starting a business, right? Mm. Because it's been some of probably your lowest points, but you're using that to help transform other people now. Yeah. So what's been the biggest struggle in terms of getting that business off the ground, whether it's emotionally or whether it's just purely from a business standpoint? Yeah, I mean, there's there's bits of both in there. It's not, I kind of always joke and say it's not the sexiest thing to, if you pick a subject, but for me, it's very meaningful because I've been through it. So if somebody said to me, right, I need you to make a million dollars in as quick a time as possible, I wouldn't pick starting an anxiety podcast and coaching one-on-one <laughs> sure. and running experiences and that kind of thing because it there's a lot of, I, I put a lot of my own naturally generated energy into it. I have to, even in every conversation I have, it, I'm I'm there with them to some extent. But at the same time, I wouldn't switch it for the world. And and I think a friend of mine, Ricardo, lots of shout outs on this podcast, but a friend of mine coined the term grass-fed cash. And we had this kind of discussion once. We might have even been in San Diego when we're having it. And he said, he used to be a banker and work in Wall Street. And he said, when you just make a lot of money for the sake of making a lot of money, it doesn't always feel good. Which to somebody listening to this who doesn't have a lot of money, you're like, bullshit. Like, whatever, mate. (laughs) But... If you can make money and also be doing good at the same time, which is where his grass-fed, obviously an analogy with grass-fed beef, and he kind of said, imagine being able to like transform people or help people get into a better place or help people feel part of a community or feel different, and you can derive wealth from it and your income from it, then that's got to be the ultimate. Totally. I think it's almost a natural progression too, because like we were talking before we got on, my first, my like my dream was always to just purely be able to support myself and my wife without a job to create a business that would support a lifestyle mm. right that's that was my only step one yeah didn't care what it was as long as it was as long as it could do it and you achieve that and you're like well this is still pretty empty actually mm. like this has always been my dream and i did it but 
first this, world problems. Yeah, first one hundred percent first world problems. <laughs> yeah. But you're like, wow, like I thought this was gonna feel a lot better. So then I think, okay, so you you achieve that goal, you kinda got have the money piece figured out, but now it's like I want to do something that I actually care about mm. that actually makes a difference that can actually help people. So, I, you know, on your point, I think that's kind of the, for me anyways, I don't know if it's the ultimate, but that's like, that's my next chapter. And it's what I'm tackling now is, okay, let's figure out how to do something that actually makes a difference, but can actually support us as well. Yeah. So it's a business. And I think that's a natural progression for a lot of people. Yeah. I want to say as well, like to, to be clear, it's still a work in progress. Yeah. I'm not killing it. I'm not sat here talking to you with, you know, there's not, I'm not going to open my email up and have like, you know, a million new orders or whatever in my inbox. But so it's a progression, but I also think that like things that are meaningful take time to cultivate. If it was easy, somebody else would have done it. And if it was just about selling online courses, that wouldn't be the answer for me either. I want to actually talk to people and yeah. touch people and, and, you know, help, help them move from where they are to a better place. And that isn't done through, you know, check out this PDF. It's done through like meaningful conversations. Especially when you're going as deep as something like anxiety. Right. I mean, that's stuff that hits to the core where people, you know, I'm sure there's some online resources like a course that could help people, but never to the extent of having a one-on-one conversation with you. Yeah. Or through a group. Yeah. I mean, course, it's kind of like the podcast for me is like the introduction to the work. Because I'm now at something like 203 episodes, I think I'm at as of recording this. So, which props, by the way, because that's a lot Thank of you. dedicated, consistent work. Like, yeah, I'm seeing how much work a podcast is. Right. So, people that have done the 200, 500 thousand podcasts, yeah. I'm just, I'm like, huge props. Yeah, but in going through that, I've been, you know, I've been financially compensated by clients that have come on and paid me and and go through my work. But I also get compensated by people who just send me an email and say. You changed my life because I believed this and now I'm trying something different and I've you know, I've got people who've told me they've lost weight or moved or traveled on an airplane for the first time or one of my clients the other day just got a new job and something that she didn't think was possible and she just put herself out there and got it. So there's lots of payment vehicles in addition to the financial one, oh, which yeah. clearly I need because I have three kids and a wife and I, in order to do this full time and commit to make it as impactful, you got to get paid. Right. Because I, I don't have, I'm not independently wealthy, so I can't just do it for, for the crack at the moment. You'd be, <laughs> you'd, be do, you'd be in the IT job doing this at night, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it would be, it wouldn't be the same. Like this takes a lot of, you know, just thinking, which the, even to say this out loud sounds ridiculous, but just the cognitive load of coming up with creative things to talk about to help your audience, there's a, there's a lot of work involved. Some days I sit there with a blank sheet of paper and I'm like, what am I going to talk about on tomorrow's podcast when I'm doing solo ones and I got to figure it out. Yeah. You know, one thing I know, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He always talks about document, don't create. So mm. I've tried to been, I've tried to really take that because it's really, like you said, it's really hard to create unique, yeah. good, solid content. It does take a lot of cognitive work. So just along the lines of documenting stuff in terms of, you know, if I'm going through my day, how are other people failing? How are mm. like I'm just keeping that lens open? Yeah. So I think it's another way to another way to look at content creation as well. Just yeah. aside, just an aside. Well, no, I was going to say, and today, I mean, once you get in the in the flow, like I'm in anxiety flow, stress flow, I look at I look at the world through a lens of what would somebody who's struggling feel like in this situation? And I even did it today on the pl- I flew here today on the plane, and I, I've never done this before or thought of this before. But if you think about public speaking, you're standing in front of a crowd. So 
subconsciously, while I was waiting to be the next in line to the toilet, I walked all the way to the front of the plane and turned to face everybody looking at me. And I just stood there for a minute and kind of hung out. And I looked at a few people and smiled and made eye contact. And I recognized that it felt a bit uncomfortable to be on show. And then I was like, but what a perfect opportunity to practice, right? Just be. And everybody wants to jump up and, you know, run to the restroom and sit down as quick as they can and right. not disturb anybody but like walk walk head down don't yeah. make eye contact don't, don't bump look. into anybody yeah, don't yeah. touch any other humans so that's, I thought, yeah just stand I love at the that. front and just stand there for a minute and look at people i love that it's, yeah i love like little experiments like that right it's like because one question i ask of every guest at the end is you know what's uh when, when's the last time you got out of your comfort zone what was it mm. boom that was right? this morning yeah exactly <laughs> that, but that's there's power in that right because yeah. that's where growth happens is when you start getting comfortable doing uncomfortable things right? because you're expanding yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember going back to reading the four-hour work week. I think it was in that book that Tim Ferriss wrote where he talked about laying down on the ground in a, in a coffee shop yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. But I think a lot of these, like, inoculating ourselves against what people think or against embarrassment and this, you know, the stoicism stuff covers a lot of this as well. But that was something which I just thought of on the fly this morning. I was like, yeah, this, it kind of felt like a bit, a bit much for a minute, but then, you know, two minutes later, I was like, I could stay there all day. It's easy. <laughs> Everybody look at me. Keep yeah. looking. <laughs> Make eye contact with every one of you and smile. Yeah. No, that's cool. So with this being the fail on podcast, how do you, how do you define failure? That's a great question. Ultimately, in my life, I think I define failure as something which I can take an opportunity to learn from and grow from. I don't know the exact quote, but something in my head along the lines of like, if you're not you know, making money or or learning, you've got to be failing because that's how you kind of grow and get the experience. And now it turns out that the, what I perceived at the time was the greatest failure in my life might actually be the most impactful thing I do in my life. In what way? Well, because without that level of contrast, without the depth of the low to experience now being able to repay my experience to other people and say, Let's talk about anxiety and not make it this boring, stigmatized topic that nobody wants to go into. Let's make it, you know, something which is on the table and maybe even a bit entertaining sometimes and a bit different, you know, just to get the word out there. And so that that failure has allowed me to to expand. And so now I'm kind of turned myself into a bit of a, a junkie in that I look for opportunities to test it and, and to see where. But kind of kind of consciously, you're actually thinking and looking and being a super aware of different moments where you can kind of push yourself yeah not push myself to my own detriment but like put myself in like standing at the front of the airplane or you know striking up a conversation where historically i wouldn't have done or just you know doing things in the world like i had a guest on my podcast who had this idea of writing love notes and leaving them on people's car windscreens it's been been done a few times or people buy bunches of flowers and leave them on windscreens so i did some the other day with my kids and wrote, wrote love notes and left them on the windscreen. And it was uncomfortable. It was weird. I was like, like what, what kind of stuff are you writing? Me? What if they see me? It, it was like, uh, <laughs> I wrote something like, just know that you will always be loved. Another one I wrote something like, I believe you are capable of so much in your life. Yeah, and just anonymous yeah. notes. And the biggest lesson it turns out in that was, you know, it, it touched my children. Because they were like, they felt like they were kind of sprinkling pixie dust that's around. That's great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, on the lines of getting outside your comfort zone and making yourself uncomfortable, how do you actually assess risk? I guess, how do you look at risk when you're looking at doing new things? Whether it be starting the podcast and the mm -hmm. project you're doing now, or whether it was starting the 
the baby product business, yeah. I guess, how do you look at opportunities and say, is it worth it or is it not? Yeah. Part of my untethering or unwinding of that life I had before was to, you know, become a bit of a budding minimalist. I downsized the bejesus out of my life. We now, I have three kids. My wife, we live in a 1400 square foot apartment. It's got a beautiful view. It's in the harbor and stuff, but going from like a massive house with three and a half thousand square feet to a very manageable space, which is very affordable for us. And just kind of living a life where I, I don't have that weight on my shoulders anymore. I'm free to be able to do this and create and bring in enough money to support us. And I expect it to grow and bring in more so that I can do more with it. But I also know that if that all went wrong, then our expenses aren't the insurmountable crazy things to fix. So we could get the money to do it. I know I'm capable of generating it some other way. No, it's a great lesson because I think the only time failure can really crush you is if you're in a position where financially you could actually get crushed, mm. if, you know, if you fail. Yeah. So just allowing yourself to like, if the people that have no expenses, you have no excuse, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're living at your parents and you're, you know, you have 500 bucks a month in expenses, go try stuff. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I could go and I mean, based on where we've got our expenses and I sat out, I literally sat outside my house on a deck chair, kind of overlooking the harbor with the sun coming up yesterday or the day before, Saturday or Sunday. And I looked around at my wife and we're drinking coffee and the kids are inside watching cartoons. And I said, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else in the world. And it's the cheapest place we've ever lived. It's amazing. Right? So having that rock bed of underlying security financially just taken care of means that now I can lean in a bit harder to, you know, making this something significant and yeah, making it something which is going to last and, you know, be around. Right. What's your biggest fear nowadays? Is it still the anxiety, the panic attacks that could still happen? Or is it something with the business? What are you most afraid of? Yeah, it's not the panic attacks and anxiety anymore because I feel like I've done my work and I continue to implement it. And if I didn't, then I would I would see it coming some way off. It would take me a while to like do myself in again <laughs> to the extent where I was having panic attacks. But... Yeah, I think the biggest risk is in, I don't know, I don't feel like I have a huge risk just on the basis of the, the you know, our financial situation being taken care of. I did invest in some real estate, which, which worked out sheer luck. Well, <laughs> not sheer luck because I decided to actually buy some, but the market's been good over the last few years where I invested. And so I've now been able to start selling off some of that and, and creating a nest egg. But yeah, I just think it, you know, I, I still have the natural fear of like, what if people don't love me? Right? What if people stop loving the podcast and I can't do this anymore because I really enjoy it or I'm not having the impact with people? But at the same time, those things are kind of. Was it tough starting the podcast, putting yourself out there, telling your story? Yeah. Yeah. What was the toughest part? Just, I mean, because I know we talked about the imposter syndrome mm. type thing. Is that something you felt when you're starting this project? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because to some extent, when I started this project, I, w I wasn't in as good a place as I am now. And so there's a huge component of me thinking like, who the fuck do you think you are talking about anxiety when you're like shaking doing the first interview, which I was and sweating and kind of thinking, Oh my God, this is difficult. And this person I'm interviewing is really important. And you know, now, you know, some couple hundred podcasts later, it doesn't feel like that anymore because I've practiced it and I've flexed that muscle when I got used to it, which is, you know, funnily enough, how a lot of our anxiety is overcome by, micro exposing ourselves to the the thing over and over again
It's like just getting the you know the flu the flu vaccines right. giving you a little injection of the flu. Yeah, exactly. And you just build up the muscle to it. It's a great analogy. So, obviously, fell on is kind of the mantra we live by. With the whole idea, which we've talked about a little bit, is if you're not failing and actually trying stuff, mm. you're not growing. So obviously, we talked about how you, the example you did on the plane of getting outside your comfort zone. What are some other ways that you like to push yourself in those in those ways? Yeah. I mean, to kind of like preface this statement, I, what I'll say as well is something I believe in a huge way is that the biggest forward strides that I've made in my life, the biggest breakthroughs I've had in my life have been just on the other side of like debilitating fear to some extent. So whenever I get to a place where I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And then I get through that difficult decision or difficult engagement or whatever it is then it's like, okay, you've kind of almost like graduated to the next level. When's the last time you've you've had that where you're just like, like you said, you had that debilitating fear, but then you did it, wasn't so bad. Yeah. And then you had a breakthrough. Probably the last time I had a major speaking gig a few weeks ago, because that happened to me, that was my origin. It's not, and I've done a lot since then. So now it's, it's still not there. It's not there to the same extent it used to be. But I still feel it before I go up there. Now it's just I know that I'm going to be fine and I know that I'm entertaining and people like listening to it and they like the stories. But yeah, it's still, I still kind of get into that feeling sometimes where I'm like, I know that, I know that good is on the other side of this. I just got to persist and, and do it anyway. But, you know, sometimes it's when you get the phone call from somebody offering you to do an interview or do a speech or take on an opportunity or do something and, and immediately your guts are kind of twisting up. But you know deep down that you kind of have to say yes. There's some, you know, whoever on my podcast, the most influential person, Tony Robbins, or somebody really intimidating right. in front of you, I'm saying, I'm going to be on your show. And you're like, oh, my God. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like somebody that it could be intimidating, but you know at the same time you've got to move forward. So, yeah, that still still pops up. And I'm to some extent, I've talked about this publicly. Like I'm grateful that I still feel that way because it allows me to still – kind of plug into the matrix if i i often say to people you should be nervous when you go to speak you should be nervous when you go to the job interview you should be nervous on the date because if you're not you don't care that's true and you shouldn't be there anyway do you know uh, giovanni marsico yeah i do yeah so i was talking to him on a similar question actually and he was like once i get that feeling whether it's anxiety or whatever that feeling is in your stomach and gut that like you know your stomach's twisted it just you have that feeling he's like because he's re he's learned to reframe a lot of stuff, which is really interesting. And I loved, yeah. his, I loved his answer about this. He's like, I can look at it as like stress or anxiety, or, or I can look at it as, oh, I'm excited. Mm. So he just reframes it as excitement yeah. and then goes into it with that feeling. Like when like he doesn't get nervous going on stage, but other areas of his life he does. And I just love that reframe of, oh, I feel that. I'm excited. Yeah, I have an opportunity right now yeah. versus like letting it crush you. And I always talk about the sports one because you know, everybody loves sports. Most people love sports. But if you ever look at a, a kind of a rookie or a, even a famous vet before the Super Bowl or some big, you know, Stanley Cup final, and the interviewer says, are you nervous? No, they'd just be like, no, man, I'm just really excited. It's so exciting. It's true. Yeah. It's inside your body. If you're just about to step on the ice or get in the ring or jump on the field and you're sweating and your heart's racing, good. Adrenaline's It should going. be. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's what you need in that moment. So it's, it's the same feeling. And a guest of mine once used the term reframe kind of nervous energy into performance energy mm. so like it's kind that. of saying take that feeling and as giovanni said it's like if you think of what anxiety is it's like 
it's almost like a superpower because it's designed to save your life. So it's a defense mechanism. So you will have better vision. You'll have better hearing. You'll get goosebumps. Your heart's slightly faster. You're more engaged. So take that and put it into whatever you're doing, and you'll light up. I like that. No, it's 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 true. And if you had to point out a single person that's had really like the most profound impact on your life with everything you've been through, mm. who would that be? <laughs> I mean, it's fairly easy based on the impact, but it would be our friend Philip McKernan. Yeah. yeah. Don't give him any credit, man. I know. He gets enough credit, that man. <laughs> but no, I mean, he he would... His work's powerful. His work's powerful. I've done all the work, but he's been asking fantastic <laughs> questions, right? See, but that's, he's, got the, he's got the best business in the world. He just asks questions. You have to yeah. do all the work, and he gets all the credit. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who go to get involved in personal growth and pay the money and show up and don't do the work and, and don't get the growth. So you have to take some credit for going home and saying, right, I got this great idea. You got to put it into action. I got to find the domain name and sit there in the dark writing show notes and record podcast episodes in my car and go through all the pain to get there. But I was very, you know, very kindly introduced to him. He very kindly kind of took me under his wing and, and asked me amazing questions and challenged me and pushed me and shaped me in, in kind of the right direction. So that now to some extent, I, not that I don't need that anymore, but now to some extent I have a level of awareness where I'm like, okay, you know, I've got to keep checking in with like, do I actually want to be here? Is this the truth? And that's kind of like the, each side of the road for me is like, on one side is like, is this the truth? In the middle of the road is like, am I aligned? You know? What do you mean is this the truth? In what way? I just think like, speaking my truth is very important because I spent so much of my life lying for the benefit of other people. Not in a malicious, you know, right. but detrimental way. Kind but yeah. So it's like, I just want to say how I feel. Like I said some things which people think are a bit outspoken towards medication. And I'm just saying how I feel about it based on my experience and the research I've done. And so, yeah, it's opened me up to this world, which I've kind of continued to delve into. And so figuring out the truth for me is very important. And, and outside of his work then is just kind of working on my stop caring what people think capabilities. And I think for me, like I bounce between truth and not caring what people think. And those are my kind of guiding lights in terms of how I'm living at the moment. Right. With Philip, what's been if you can even think of it or come up with it, what's been like one single question that's really like shifted what you've thought that he gave you? Mm -hmm. Is there one that really makes you? Well, I told you the story earlier about, I said, I said, am I broken? But I'll tell you one other story as well. Cause this is the one where I like, it was like the epiphany for me. It was a true like goosebumps pouring out of me of emotion and information. But Philip wants, this is such a great advertising, <laughs> is, he, is he sponsoring, the, is this a mid-roll paying he for this? He should be. He should be sponsoring for this. If not, you know, I'll send him an invoice. Yeah, please do. He sends a lot of them himself. So, <laughs> But he, he was, I was once in a, a room, sat with him, and he was telling a story about how he once spoke at an event in Vancouver. And after the event, a guy came up to him and said, I want to do what you do. And Philip said, cool, what would you speak about? And the guy said, well, I used to be, a successful businessman and then I became an alcoholic and now I'm building up my business again so I've got this kind of richest to rags to riches story and Philip walked him over to the looking over the city in Vancouver and said there's people down there now who need to hear your story they don't need to wait for you to be perfect I'm getting goosebumps now saying this again but that was when I heard that that was 
permission for me to start talking about anxiety. That was permission for me to start helping people, even though I wasn't 100% fixed or healed or, or the finished product. Because the truth is, we'll never be perfect. So if you keep waiting, you'll be waiting forever. So that story, which interestingly, I'd heard before from him, but I wasn't in the right place to receive it. On that occasion, when he said it, I was just like, I literally got my notebook out. And I'm not a huge note taker, but I'd filled like five pages of notes Start about writing. stories and things I would say and what I would do and how I would say it. And yeah, so that was a hugely impactful. And from that moment forward, I've been... How long ago was that? I want to say like three years ago, maybe okay. at this point. Yeah. Got it. And since then, it's... Boom. Yeah. But that was that was it. That was my... Yeah, that was just me ticking the box to go. Like, just go. And I'm the kind of person, like, when you give me, point me in a direction, like, I'll do 200 episodes. And yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't mind doing That's the That's my work. problem, too. It's like, once I have a direction, I'm all in. But yeah. finding that direction has right. always been my toughest part. Right. And at that time, in that overlap phase, I was getting into investing in real estate. and Got it. You know. So it's that transitional point where you're, it's what he does, right? You yeah. find clarity on what you I was pretty good at that as well. I was yeah. good at, but I could see myself. I'm like, here I am making money again with no sort of end goal. And so I've been I've been searching for something for meaning for something to connect to for something which would mean more than just the financial piece. Right. So with everything you're doing, you have the podcast, you do experiences as well. Mm -hmm. What are you most excited about that's kind of on the horizon? More of everything. Like I feel like even though I've I'm kind of this summer will be two years for me of when I started doing this stuff. It still feels like I'm just, just refining yeah. and and kind of honing my my pitch and all the rest of it not my pitch but honing my my message but yeah i'm starting to do more public speaking in terms of in a professional capacity speaking at events and and corporate stuff and i'm really enjoying that because that's kind of the world i came from so to your earlier question to try and kind of get in front of the game a bit and say to people like this is what happened to me you need to start taking care of yourself a bit better and, and not just keep saying work hard play hard all the time and right. think you'll be fine <laughs> right. i did that it's not fine so I'm starting to do that. I'm starting to work with small businesses a bit more in terms of wellness and kind of like helping corporate people. Wellness. Yeah. yeah, helping people understand that anxiety happens in the workplace. Anxiety happens to executives as well in companies and it's just they got nobody to talk to, right? Like who are you going to tell? Because it's seen as a shameful, embarrassing situation. So overall, my goal is, is, is ultimately for people who wake up next week and have their first panic attack because of the lives they've lived to know that there's another route outside of medication, which is a whole nother discussion, yeah, it which is. I could totally get into, <laughs> but it's not lasting. And, and, and I'll say one thing about it, which is this, that even if it worked, even if there was a magic pill, which there isn't, anxiety is there to serve as a reminder for us to change something, that something is out of alignment, that something needs to be addressed. It's a quiet alarm bell ringing, which is going to get louder until you change something. So even if you cover it up with a bit of shovel a bit of sand on top of it, it's still there, right? So the challenge is, is like, where's that coming from? What does the change need to be? And then how can you start, you know, degree by degree turning the ship and, and making some changes? Do you have a big vision for the company five, 10 years, that kind of thing? Or is it more of just going in, seeing what you can do day to day, growing it month by month, year by year right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't have like a big written vision in terms of like number of people and stuff like that, but I do see it being... In my mind's eye, I see this being like, it's just the perfect time for the kind of message that I'm talking about, where, you know, big businesses that have just been there for the sake of making money are being exposed in other industries. And everybody knows, it's just like, we know that, you know, eating 
good food is better for us for so many reasons and mental health is no different we have to you know look at our lives and not look at solutions in a bowl so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna keep beating this drum and and getting the word out there for the benefit of people who need it you know, it's a huge issue too because i think even last year we were both the mastermind talks gary vanderchuk was saying he sees you know how yoga studios got big he sees like meditation studios right. becoming like kind of the next thing mm-hmm. where people can just hop in do a quick 10 15 30 minute meditation hop out so with the world as busy as it is and people kind of on the hamster wheel and like you said, not taking yeah. care of themselves. I think what you're doing is amazing. So thank you for thank you for sharing your story and putting yeah. that out there. Appreciate it. And in true Gary Vaynerchuk style, I think I'm I think I'm like moving in a trajectory which is gonna hit that arc point at some time and people will be like, Oh, okay, anxiety, this is a real thing and a real thing and actually it's not up. just like generalized anxiety disorder where it's like a clinical condition. It's like all humans have it. It's just where are you on the spectrum? Exactly. Right? Are you like, I'm all right, I'm just a little bit stressed sometimes? Or I'm I'm not taking care of myself for long enough, and now I'm like actually starting to panic, and I'm going some too, right? Yeah. So taking care of it before it really comes to a tipping point, like it did for you on stage. Right. No, that's cool. So obviously, fail on podcast. What I'd like for you to do, similar to how you did on the airplane, I'd love for you to throw out a challenge mm-hmm. to myself as well as the community of a challenge that we could do to get outside our comfort zone that we can kind of report back to you with and share it. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have loads of thoughts because I love all this kind of stuff. But I would encourage people to spend an hour or an afternoon where your your primary goal is just for human connection, because we could overcomplicate it in lots of ways. But so it's phone phone off in your pocket, and just make eye contact with the person walking down the street, and stop and initiate a conversation with them. And when you walk into the coffee shop or you walk into the supermarket, ask them how their day's going, what's going on. Like, go past the surface level shit and actually pretend like it's your sister or it's your mum and you care enough to go go there. My five-year-old blows my fucking mind all the time. I sit in front of my house and I watch him on this path and he rides his little bike up and down. And I'd like to think he's learned this from me. I'm going to claim credit for it because I, <laughs> I said to my wife the other day, I was like, he's going to be the mayor of something at some point because every person that walked past, he starts a conversation. That's amazing. And I've got this written on my list of things to make a podcast about. But the interesting thing is, is that everybody wants to have a conversation. Like they actually want to stop for 60 seconds and have some real connection. Connection, yeah. He said yesterday to this old lady walking past, he said, have I met you yet? As in like, uh, eventually I'm going to meet all of these people. <laughs> And the lady starts oh, and said, I don't think I have met yet. No. And he said, well, my name's Edward. I'm five and I live over there and that's my dad. And, and she stopped and like genuinely kind of engaged in conversation. Other people have got dogs. They'll say, can I pet your dog? And he gets off his bike and puts his stand down and strokes the dog. And it's just a, a great lesson in the fact that people desire human connection. We're desperate for it. And, and increasingly at the moment. Everybody acts like they're not though. Yeah. Right? They put their head down, walk past. When... Both people want to talk, right? Mm. It's so I weird. mean, it's the, cl- the classic example, again, on an airplane. Yeah. When, when you sit next to somebody for eight hours, and then as you start kind of stretching and getting ready to get off the plane, you take your headphones off, and they're like, so what do you do? And <laughs> then you're into this conversation. Yeah. It's like, you know, where have you been? Not if you sit next to my mum, by the way. If you sit right. next to my mum, you'll be talking for eight hours. But <laughs> that's where I get it from. <laughs> no, I love it. So, so human connection for an hour. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing else on, yeah. just talk. Eye contact, smile, say hi to people. I mean, and if you're ever feeling a bit down and you need a pick-me-up, I say this to a lot of my clients and I say on the podcast all the time, like, go out of your way to go first. Like, go first and initiate the conversation and be the 
be the carer of somebody else and 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 you you'll find that I play this game with my kids sometimes when they're to get them out of a funk I'm like right let's play the smile game and all we do is walk down the street and we smile at people and we get to count if they smile back at us That's great. kind of keep score and yeah you by the time you've played that game you feel you're amazing happy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like smiling. buzzing vibrating with all this positive energy and goodwill in the world you skip off into the sunset it's great I love it well I want to respect your time so thanks for thanks for joining us thank you and we'll chat again appreciate it thanks all right, so you can find Tim at Tim J.P. Collins on Twitter. That's at Tim J.P. Collins. And, of course, that spelling along with all the links and resources Tim and I discussed, including more information on his podcast, coaching, and online courses, can be found at the page we created especially for this episode. That'll be at failon.com slash 029. And next week we have a special, and we're sitting down with my friend Matt Gallant. Matt is a serial entrepreneur who's collected over 7 million leads in various industries, scientifically tested well over 10,000 different marketing ideas, generated tens of millions of dollars online, and built his dream international lifestyle. He lives in Panama now. In this episode, Matt shares the darkest time of his marketing career, the single most valuable skill he has built that has allowed him to generate his success. And on top of that, he actually like hypnotizes me and puts me into like this trance, going back to like this past bad experience I had with speaking publicly. So it's super interesting. Don't miss it. And if the podcast has the wheels turning, please email me at robertfellon.com and let me know what your biggest struggle is and making the leap from being an employee to an entrepreneur or what you're, what you're struggling with in terms of breaking through the next level in your own business. And I appreciate the emails coming in. I'm getting way more than I expected. So keep them coming. I'm enjoying the dialogue. And as I continue to build Fellon with the goal of helping people embrace failure, share their struggle, and decide once and for all to create change in their lives, I'd be really grateful for a couple things. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps the show get found by more people. And when people can find the show, it means it can help more people, which in return means you are helping more people by simply subscribing. To subscribe and rate and review the podcast, super easy. Just go to failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.